Hello everyone, and welcome to the Makers and Mystics Artist Profile Series, Episode 6. I'm Vesper Stamper, and I'll be your guest host on today's episode. When I was in my 20s, I was wandering through the music section at Barnes & Noble when they still had a music section, and came across a promotion for an album of songs by a then-little-known 12th-century German nun named Hildegard von Bingen. Apparently, her music was more than just the Gregorian chant, which was also seeing a resurgence at that time. But it was more than 10 years later before I would really encounter Hildegard. And when I did, it was like meeting a long-lost sister. What could a woman who was born more than 900 years ago have to offer us today as modern people, as artists and women? After all, she never married, had children, or had a formal education. She lived a life that we might see today as prescribed and dictated. But this woman, who barely left the monastery where she grew up until she was in her 40s, became a counselor to kings and emperors, and a correspondent with popes, scholars, and saints. She was a musician, a composer, possibly a visual artist, an author, a mystic visionary, a physician, an abbess, and a preacher, all while remaining true to her context as a woman of faith. Hildegard was born in 1098 in the German region of Rhineland. She was the youngest of ten children, and when she was eight years old, her parents gave her as a tithe to the monastery at Dizibodenberg, a co-ed monastery. Little Hildegard was sent to live with a nun named Jutta von Sponheim. In those days, a church or monastery would consider itself highly fortunate to have what was called an anchorite, a hermit who would literally be enclosed within the confines of a church, either in a single room or a suite, but with no exit to the outside world, usually only a window into the church so they could hear mass and receive meals or talk to inquisitive pilgrims. Hildegard grew up in an enclosure like this at Dizzy Bodenberg with the anchorite Utah. There was no running in open fields for her. Her only playmate was another girl, also named Jutta, who lived under von Sponheim in the Ankerhold. Jutta eventually became abbess of the sisters at Dizibodenberg, and after her death, Hildegard was elected to be the new abbess when she was 38 years old. Eventually, the co-ed nature of Dizibodenberg became unsatisfactory, and she moved her daughters to a new convent, which she named Rupertsberg. Hildegard had been plagued with health problems as a child, which continued in one form or another her entire life. When she was just three years old, she began to have recurring visions of what she termed the living light, a manifestation of God through which he spoke to her in vivid detail. These visions would come at inopportune times, sometimes physically incapacitating her, and she did not reveal them until she was 42, when the living light commanded her to write them down. She hesitated at first, but then submitted her visions to the scrutiny of Pope Eugenius, who decreed them authentic and gave her permission to write books. She wrote a number of books about theology, herbal medicine, the human body, and her visions, dictating them to her close friend and confessor, the priest Volmar. This is from her book, Shivias. But I, though I saw and heard these things, refused to write for a long time through doubt and bad opinion and the diversity of human words, not with stubbornness but in the exercise of humility, 
until, laid low by the scourge of God, I fell upon a bed of sickness. Then, compelled at last by many illnesses, I set my hand to the writing. While I was doing it, I sensed the deep profundity of scriptural exposition, and raising myself from illness by the strength I received, I brought this work to a close, though just barely, in ten years. And I spoke and wrote these things not by the invention of my heart or that of any other person, but as the secret mysteries of God I heard and received them in the heavenly places. And again I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Cry out therefore, and write thus. The Middle Ages are a time that's highly misunderstood by the modern person. We see it as a sort of handmaid's tale dystopia for women. Surely women did not enjoy the kind of emancipation that we do today equal rights, the right to vote or choose our careers, for example. But Hildegard's time was one in which everyone, men and women, were strictly bound to the rules of their social class, and within those limits, medieval women actually had a fair degree of autonomy. Until much later, they could own and inherit property. In fact, part of the wealth of a monastery would be the land holdings that belonged to a nun joining it, since nuns were almost invariably noble women. But Hildegard did most assuredly buck tradition, and what makes her so intriguing is the sheer number of ways in which she did it. She was a woman who was not afraid to be entirely herself. She trusted her vision and the ways in which it expressed itself. She was a brilliant composer, introducing new styles of music in a time of the fairly static Gregorian chant which had already dominated for 400 years. She believed that music was an active force and could cure the soul's ills. Hildegard played the psaltery masterfully and wrote what was arguably the first opera, her morality play, Ordo Virtutum, about a soul tempted away from virtue by the devil and her journey back home. The work is entirely sung except for the part of the devil, which was spoken to emphasize the hollow and unmusical nature of Satan just as Mavis Staples said, the devil ain't got no music. All music is God's music. Hildegard's compositions foresaw developments in polyphony, improvisation, and the use of modulation to heighten dramatic narrative. There is a freedom in her arpeggiations that lifts the mind and soul. On the one hand, she didn't have the kind of formal education that was afforded to men, a classical education that included the trivium and quadrivium, the seven liberal arts. On the other hand, her life of enclosure with Yuta and the pattern of her life in the monastery meant that all she did was study. Her life was completely devoted to learning. Her writings show exposure to scholarly works, and her reading would have been recited, embodied, by speaking aloud for hours a day in the practice of Lectio Divina. That she was as serious a theologian as she was a mystical creative should make us pause.
Despite several near-death experiences, Hildegard embarked on a series of public preaching tours at the age of 60, an unconventional move for anyone, especially a woman in a hierarchy which was almost exclusively male. She lived until the age of 81, an unbelievable age in a time when the average life expectancy was around 30. The date of her death, September 17th, is her feast day. In 2012, she was finally made a saint by Pope Benedict XVI, and also made a doctor of the church, which is a foremost authority in theology, along with such luminaries as Augustine and Aquinas. Though it's been fashionable in recent decades, it's not right to claim Hildegard as an emblem of feminism in the modern sense. To do so would be anachronistic. But like us, Hildegard lived during a period of great change. The split between the Roman and Eastern churches in 1054, the First Crusade in 1096, a boom in population and trade and rampant church corruption, novel offshoots of Christian doctrine, cultural and military invasions everywhere. Yet despite this, she was a woman of orthodox faith and practice who believed and lived and made art according to a living relationship with the God of Scripture. Hildegard exhibits the posture many artists are familiar with, a prophetic voice who shines light on hypocrisy and corruption. The voice in her visions gave her the words to call out both secular and church leaders on their self-focus and attend to the needs of the people by modeling righteousness. How like Jesus the writer, the storyteller, who also showed the mirror to those of his time. Despite what we would perceive as her extremely restricted circumstances, Hildegard thrived within those boundaries and was a woman completely ahead of her time. Her Benedictine pattern of life gave her a form within which she expressed great freedom. She was guided by a mystical understanding of the expansiveness of God's reality, by a belief in what she called veriditas, or greenness, the continually unfolding, evergreen life of God's being that flows within both the created order and the human being, an understanding that transcended the walls of her convent. There is a reason we can read Hildegard today and not only comprehend her vision, but enter into it ourselves. The life she describes is available to us, the promise of green, abundant life, of vibrant encounter with the living God, of the ways that connection with art and the making of art weave us into the fabric of what God is doing in the world. She gives us a model of the universe as orderly and harmonious, an artwork in itself. Hildegard's unique combination of theological prowess, artistic talent, mystical openness, prophetic proclamation, and ecclesiastical obedience seems almost impossible to the modern artist. But what if we took some time to examine our own lives, our own desires, and imagine what it would look like if we lived this way today? With all the pressures on us to be and achieve in the marketplace, what if the imbalance we often feel as artists is because our starting point is off, because we choke ourselves off from the life-giving veriditas? How many of us are reluctant to follow one or the other of these aspects of our calling, theology, craft, discipline, mystical space, obedience, and proclamation? What if we could bring all things into alignment with the vision which guided Hildegard? 
to be as theologically grounded as we are exploratory, as bold as we are introspective, as holy as we are experimental. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow at Makers and Mystics on Instagram and go to makersandmystics.com for additional episodes. You can find out more of what I do at vesperillustration.com or on my Instagram and YouTube at Vesper Illustration. Music for this episode was provided by the group Sequentia, courtesy of Sony Classical. To see a performance of the entire Ordo Virtutum by Ensemble Vocatrix, click the link in the show notes. Tune in next week for Stephen's interview with author C.J. Cassiata on breaking free from the need to fit in. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.